In the text that we looked at last week, Jesus speaks with some Pharisees. These are the most religious, the most well-educated, the most morally upright people that Jesus encounters. And here is a summary of what Jesus says to them. And as you listen to what Jesus says to them, think of how you might respond to Jesus saying these types of things. Jesus said this, you are from below. Jesus said, you cannot come with me to heaven. Jesus said, you will die in your sins. All of their knowledge, all of their best behavior, all of their religion could not bring them into a relationship with God. The same is true for us. What you know, what you believe, or how you behave, and even your participation in a church cannot bring you a relationship with God. Following this conversation with these Pharisees, John writes this in John chapter 8 and verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This seems like really good news. But if there was a narrator voice between verse 30 and verse 31, the narrator would say this. But they didn't really believe in him. Our sister Julie is going to come and she's going to read verse 31 down through verse 59. We'll finish chapter 8 today. Here's John chapter 8, verse 31 down through 59. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling you the truth. Why don't you believe in me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If any keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do not see him, or, but I do not know him, and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifteen. <laughs> you are not yet fifty years old. The Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Are you familiar with the phrase, faux pas? Faux pas is a French phrase that literally means false step. A faux pas is an embarrassing mistake that you make in a social setting. Now, most of us would just say, uh, you put your foot in your mouth, or you made a fool of yourself. But if you want to class that up a little bit, then you say, I made a faux pas. So the phrase faux pas, the first part of that phrase is the little French word faux. It's F-A-U-X, and it means false. Like a false step is what faux pas literally means. So faux is kind of a classy way of saying fake. So for example, this particular Bible has a faux leather cover on it. It's not real leather. It's fake. But you class it up a little bit and you call it faux leather. This ring is real jewelry, faux diamond. Not a real diamond. Many of us have faux wood flooring in our homes, and I'm confident that at least some of us are old enough to remember faux wood paneling on the sides of station wagons. There it was. I knew it was coming. In the second half of John 8, Jesus exposes faux faith. This is important. 
Because we learn in this text that anyone can say, I believe in Jesus. That's what these people did in verse 30. They said, we believe in Jesus. And the narrator voice between 30 and 31 tells us they didn't really believe in Jesus. And as we read 31 down through 59, we find out they did not believe in Jesus. According to Jesus, true disciples abide in his word. Faux faith. It flashes and then flickers and then fades away like a firework. But true faith in Jesus leads to fruitfulness and freedom. Jesus exposes their faux faith by confronting their dishonesty and pride. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will expose our faux faith. And if the Holy Spirit does that this morning, and you realize that your faith in Jesus is not true faith, but faux faith, then I hope you will respond with humility and honesty. This is a safe place to learn to trust Jesus. Starting in verse 31, Jesus confronts their dishonesty. Read it again with me, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Is that true? That's not true, is it? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus knows that they are the descendants of Abraham. That is not the question here. Their heritage is not in question. What is in question is their faith. Jesus knows also that they are not true believers. How does he know this? Well, it's evidenced by their desire to kill him. They want to get rid of him. They are premeditating his murder. Jesus invites you to be honest as well. Your parents' faith and your presence at worship, kids, children, your presence here at worship, 
participation in religious ceremonies, this does not mean you are a true believer in Jesus. These are not proofs of saving faith. You may find yourself like this slave that Jesus describes, being kicked out of the house, like a guest that has overstayed their welcome. A slave has no permanent place. There's no guarantee that that slave is going to remain as part of that household. But a son, Jesus says, remains forever, has permanent status in the household. Theirs is faux faith, and so Jesus confronts their dishonesty. He goes on in verse 38 to confront their pride. Look at verse 38. Jesus is speaking, I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. They answered him, Abraham is our Father. You would think that Jesus had not just addressed this. This is a source of incredible national pride for them. To be the descendants of Abraham. Huge source of pride for the Jewish people. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Notice this last sentence. This is not what Abraham did. Jesus graciously takes a pin and pops the big bubble of pride that they are holding on to. And he explains again, if you were true descendants of Abraham, not descendants by blood, but descendants in his faith, then you would do the things that Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Well, Genesis 15 tells us. God speaks to Abraham, and the record is clear. Abraham believes the Lord. Jesus says, if you were truly the descendants of Abraham, not descendants by blood, which doesn't matter, descendants in his faith, then you would follow the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed the Lord. What are you doing? You're being hypocrites. You say that you believe, but you're not believing at all. Belief requires humility. Hmm? In order to have faith, you must be willing to admit, I don't have all of the answers. You must be willing to admit, I can't save myself. You got to be willing to admit, I don't control the future. Faith means humbly acknowledging 
My sin is a permanent and immovable barrier between me and God. I will not get to God on my own, not by my best behavior, not by knowing the most, not by participation in religious services. Humility declares... Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. Theirs is faux faith. And so Jesus confronts their pride. On Friday... I went to the DMV. Kids, do you know what the DMV is? Josie, do you know what the DMV is? Okay, the DMV is the, de- the Department of Motor Vehicles. This is a place where you go if you need your driver's license or if you need your car tags renewed, uh, if you need to take a, a driver's test, you go to a different one. Okay, so Lois very kindly made me an appointment. It was at 840 And so I was there early because I wanted to get it over with. Kids, the reason why adults talk about DMV as not being a place that you want to go is because regularly DMVs are slow. Uh, Sometimes you show up and you don't have the right paperwork, and then they will send you away. They can be very crowded and uncomfortable. It's a place where our sanctification is tested, isn't it, adults? So I was at the DMV. Lois made me the appointment for 8.40. At 8.35, I walked into the DMV. I checked in at the little kiosk, which was unhelpful because it presented me two options, neither of which are what I wanted, but it didn't matter. I picked one, hoping that it was going to be the right one. The machine spit out one of those little tags for me with a number on it. I looked down at my number 709, and I went and I found my spot at least six feet away from anybody else. And then I sat down, and I waited, and I waited a little more. Not all that long, surprisingly. And then the computer voice came on. Now serving. 709 at window one. Now serving number 709 at window one. Now serving 710 at window one. I thought to myself, that poor person. What what did you do? You came in, you pulled the number, and then what, you stepped outside? Don't you know you missed your opportunity? Now you're going to have to go back and mess with that kiosk again, get a new number, come here and sit and wait. And then I looked down at my number. (laughs) 709. And I very humbly walked up to window number one. And I said, I am number 709. And the poor person behind the window just looked at me 
And I said, I'm really sorry. I, I was sitting right there and I heard it, but I didn't hear it. And she grimaced and I said, do you want me to go and get in line again? Because this is really my fault and I'll go do that. And she's like, just hold on a minute. Takes my number, takes all my stuff, and she got me out of there in like five minutes. There is another sermon illustration there, which I am saving for a different day. This is enough humility for one day. This is how Jesus describes their unbelief. The way that I heard the number being called and did not respond to that number being called, and then had the crazy audacity afterwards to lament for the poor person who missed their number being called. Look at verse 44. Jesus says this. Sorry, verse number 43. Why do you not understand what I say? Why are you not hearing me? You're hearing, but you're not hearing. Why? Verse 44, end of verse 43. It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. Jesus is talking to leaders, movers and shakers, influential people with authority. They are not stupid. They are spiritually deaf. They hear his words, but they do not hear his words. Why? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. You ever have an argument with someone and they come to you with an accusation and you say to them, what proof do you have? What evidence could you offer? Could you give me an example of how I have behaved like that? This is a strong accusation that Jesus makes. These are the descendants of Abraham. These are Jewish people. They probably sacrificed this morning. And Jesus says to them, you think God is your father, but he's not. The devil is your father. What proof would you offer? What examples could you give? Jesus gives two. The devil is a murderer, and you are seeking to murder me. 
The devil is a liar, and you are lying about believing in me. Theirs is faux faith. I love how Jesus sets this up. He has made this accusation. He has presented his evidence of their behavior, their desire to murder, and their commitment to telling lies. Accusation, evidence, and then in verse 46, it's as though Jesus does his own cross-examination. Look at verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Here's how Jesus sets up this cross-examination in, in verse 46. He says, which one of you can point to something that I have done wrong? Which one of you can bring a credible accusation of some sin that I have committed? Some way that I have defrauded or stolen or not honored God, dishonored my parents. None of you can bring an accusation. So then we agree. None of you can convict me of sin. That means I'm not lying. Because lying is a sin. So none of you can bring an accusation against me. I am telling you the truth. And still, you refuse to believe. Friend, is your faith faux faith. I have no desire to challenge or to break or to tear down genuine faith in Jesus, no matter how small or how weak it is. Please hear that. No desire to tear down or challenge or break genuine faith in Jesus, no matter how small or weak it may be. But like Jesus, I do wish to expose faux faith. I do want to graciously confront our pride and our dishonesty Pride and dishonesty that says, I am going to heaven because of what I know. I am going to heaven because of my parents' faith. I am going to heaven because of my participation in religious services. I do want to challenge that kind of faith. Maybe you prayed the sinner's prayer repeatedly. Maybe you've prayed the sinner's prayer repeatedly through your whole life. Better safe than sorry, right? Faith is not a magic spell. 
conjured by repeating the words of a preacher or a parent. Maybe you raised your hand or maybe you went forward during an emotional altar call. And in that moment, your faith seemed very real. But since then, you're just not sure. Since then, it seems like perhaps you've just been sort of coasting along. Maybe your mom and dad are Christians, children, and maybe you have been coming to church ever since you can remember. Your whole life, it feels like, you've been in church or missional community, right? But maybe just like these people in John 8, you would say, Abraham is my father, except you might not use the word Abraham. Maybe you would say, well, Jeremy is my father, or Sven is my father, or Dan is my father, or Ryan is my father, or Sarah is my mom, or Jenny is my mom. Maybe you're thinking like these people that you're getting into heaven, that you have a relationship with God because your parents enjoy a relationship with God. And yet you have never seriously considered your own faith. Maybe faith is just what you do on Sunday mornings. We're not all that different from these people in John 8. We also wear invisible shackles of pride and dishonesty, religious tradition, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, self-righteousness. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to hear to show us Jesus Christ and to free us from our pride and our dishonesty and our unbelief. We need repentance, church. But theirs is faux faith. And so rather than repenting when confronted with the truth, they get angry. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan? They could say nothing more vulgar in their mind. And you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Oh, the patience and the grace and the long-suffering of Jesus in the face of unbelief. Here he is holding out the gospel to them again. They've just called him the worst possible name they can think of and says he has a demon. And Jesus says, whoever believes, oh, the grace of Jesus. Oh, the kindness of Jesus. The Jews said to him, verse 52, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Verse 53, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Narrator voice. Yes. And the prophets died. The implication. Are you greater than them? Narrator voice again. Yes. Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself... My glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Narrator voice, yes, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Their their unbelief, like our unbelief, is not due to a lack of information. They are not confused about what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus says, I am, they know exactly what he is claiming. They know in no uncertain terms he is claiming to be God in the flesh. How do you know? Because they put up with a whole bunch of hard words, true words, gracious words from Jesus in this portion of Scripture. But right now, when Jesus says, I am, they start picking up stones and they're going to execute him on the spot. They know exactly what he is claiming. Their unbelief is not due to a lack of information. It is not due to a lack of, hear it, revelation.
It is hard for us to imagine this type of stubborn unbelief. But please don't be tempted to think that your unbelief is any less vulgar or violent. Hear and believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus is I am. Jesus is the word made flesh. And in this moment, Jesus presents this flash of glory to them. Not in a blinding flash of glory, but with his words All through this portion, five, six, seven, and eight, he has been talking to them with words, using words, communicating clearly with them, appealing again and again and again for them to believe. There's glory in these words, I am. He is the word made flesh. He came to dwell among us. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He entered this world's darkness to deliver his people. From what? From our willful, stubborn, hard-hearted unbelief. Jesus died on the cross to turn enemies into friends, to change rebels into brothers and sisters, to make the most unlovely sinners into beloved sons and daughters of God. If you are trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation today, Praise him. Praise him. Worship him. Celebrate him. Enjoy him. Be satisfied with him. Rest in him. If you are not trusting in Jesus, oh, my friend, don't hear but not hear the way that I did at the DMV. Hear and respond by believing in Jesus right now. How can you know if your faith is faux faith? What's the difference between a hotel guest and a homeowner? Hotel guests move in, right? But they only intend to stay for a night or a weekend, maybe a week, perhaps a little longer if you're on an extended vacation or something like that. But you don't actually intend to stay at the hotel forever. You're a guest. You intend to be there and then to leave. But homeowners don't move in in the same way. We move in. It might take us a little while, but we get all of our stuff settled where it needs to be. We intend to stay in our homes for a long time. 
And believe me, the more recent it is that you have moved, the more likely that you are thinking, I intend to stay here a long time. Wabamas? Amen. Right? Amen. Hotel guests come and go. They do not abide. Homeowners abide. They dwell in their homes. They take up residence. It becomes their permanent address. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, we now recognize with only faux faith. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How can you know if your faith is faux faith? Jesus tells us right here, true disciples abide in his word. They're like homeowners. They move in with an intent to stay there for a long time. They are abiding. They are dwelling. They're taking up residence. To abide in Jesus means to continue in, to dwell in, to take up residence in his word. Faux faith flashes, flickers, and then fades like a firework. It may look good for a moment. It is not lasting. It is not saving Followers of Jesus fight faux faith with spirit-given motivation for true discipleship. By the power of the Holy Spirit, true disciples abide in his word. True faith, it matures day by day. How? As you learn to trust Jesus. That's why I say this is a safe place to learn to trust him. If you realize this morning that your faith is faux faith, welcome. We're all learning that our faith sometimes can be like faux faith. We're all learning little by little to trust Jesus day by day, moment by moment. True faith leads to freedom from hypocritical dishonesty. True faith leads to freedom from self-righteous pride. True faith begins to strip away all of our moralistic behavior change as we are changed from the inside out to be like Jesus. That's why true faith results in fruitfulness as we are trained in his words and his ways. True faith blossoms into a rich, meaningful, life-changing relationship with God. Do you have that kind of faith? Whether you need to repent and believe for the very first time, or whether your faith has grown cold and you need to repent and ask God to help 
your unbelief through the sinless life and sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, you may know God's mercy and love and forgiveness today. Please hear and respond to the Holy Spirit as he works in your heart. Would you pray with me?